Capital of the world. It's the TC Martin Show. A freshman has won it for the Wolverines. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. TC Martin. Gives it to Jenkins for the Doctor is now in. All right. Good afternoon on a Tuesday here live in the studios in Las Vegas. I'm Brian Feldman. I am filling in for T.C. Martin today on the T.C. Martin Show, which is every Monday, Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. streaming live at tcmartinshow.com. If you miss any part of this show or any show, go to tcmartinshow.com under the podcast section. Also check out the interview page and hear from the great guests. Go to the current and classic interview pages anytime at tcmartinshow.com. And don't forget to come by and see the show live every Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. at the Superbook at the Westgate Las Vegas, the world's largest sports book, home of the giant 4K video wall. Watch the games in comfort in a non-smoking environment, the world-famous Superbook at the Westgate Las Vegas. And wow, all I can say is what an incredible couple of weeks we've had. Say March Madness. I don't know if it's ever quite lived up to the name as much as so this year. Four teams that very few people, put it this way, if you had all four teams in your bracket in the Final Four, you're a liar. It's just that simple. There's no way you did. I know TC, I'm in TC's pool. I had UConn in the Final Four. I'm one of very few people. TC's another one who had UConn in the Final Four. I don't think anyone had any of the other three teams. It would almost be impossible to do so. What a great Final Four culminating last night with the National Championship game. And, uh, you know, I can't say what a game it was, but what a tournament it was, I will say, and a dominating tournament by the UConn Huskies, who's now, who now have their fourth national championship, excuse me, their fifth national championship under three different head coaches. Danny Hurley stepping out of the shadows of his older brother, Bobby Hurley, and of course his dad, Bob, a coach for many, many years. Um, just a great job by him. You could see what he did, and this is a superstar coach in the making, in my opinion. Joining us now from Houston, he's at the George Bush Intercon Airport, getting ready to fly back here to Vegas so he can be here to take the reins again tomorrow, is T.C. Martin. T.C., you had a hell of a time in Houston the past couple days. Hey, Brian. First and foremost, uh, thank you very much uh, for taking the reins uh, today. I really appreciate that, my friend. And uh, kudos to you for knowing your uh, Houston uh, geographic airport. As you know, there are two. You'd have a 50-50 shot, whether it be the Bush International or the Houston Hobby, and you are correct. I am at Bush International today, uh, just getting ready to get on a flight uh, back to Vegas. So you're one for one, my friend. One for one, I'll take it. Well, hey, and I did text you before the game telling you what I liked, that I liked the six-point teaser with UConn mm-hmm. and the over. I guess I didn't need to tease either one of them. I could have just taken it on a regular ticket. But, you know, TC, I just thought there would be more than 131 points scored, and especially if I could tease it down to 125. And I just thought UConn was a juggernaut. You know, we were fortunate, TC, you included. When I say fortunate, you you got to see him play as well. We saw UConn play. I saw him play twice. You got to see him play four. 
four times. We saw San Diego State play in the regular season in the Mountain West against UNLV, and then we got to see him play three times in the Mountain West Conference Tournament. Um, the team looked really good, and they definitely got better as the season went by, but I surely did not see this team advancing to the national championship game. What was it, in your opinion, that all of a sudden turned on the gas for Brian Dutcher and the San Diego State Aztecs? You know, I think that they were, not to take anything away from them because I won't do that, but I just think that the, they were fortunate uh, with the bracket, you know, so to speak. You know, when you come in as a number five seed, uh, you know, you're going to get, uh, you know, some breaks and really didn't seem like they were in, in the strongest of bracket. Now, they beat Alabama, and that was key. But, Brian, the only reason they, they beat Alabama, because uh, they wouldn't beat Alabama on, you know, if they played ten times, I don't think they, they would beat them maybe more than once. And the only way that they would beat Alabama is exactly the way they did where Alabama beat themselves. Alabama shot three for 27 beyond the three-point arc. Three for 27, which, you know, they're one of the top three-point shooting teams in the country. They were the number one team in the nation, uh, you know, coming into the tournament. They're number one team in the nation uh, for the majority of the season. And uh, Alabama was still in that game. And uh, so I give Brian Dutcher in, in the Aztecs credit, but it was just a matter of time before – uh, they faced a, a a tougher opponent that was going to have a complete package, and that's what they faced in UConn. You know, Alabama again, like I said, three for twenty-seven. But uh, look who else San Diego State uh, faced. You know, they they got a break and they got a chance to face the, the the ninth seed in Florida Atlantic. And we go back to that Final Four game on Saturday. I mean, everybody in that building, building including myself, thought the Aztecs were done. I mean, they were down fourteen. Yes, they battled back, but you know, I give you know the the credit to. Uh, you know, or the lack of credit, I should say, to Florida Atlantic for the way they treated the the last two minutes of that game, where they were playing more against the clock instead of trying to do what they did earlier in that contest. I mean, think about it. They they led for basically 39 minutes and 59 seconds of that semifinal game. So San Diego State, they were lucky to escape with that, and they know that. The players knew that. And, uh, you know, when they came to the arena on Monday night, they knew they were going to face a whole different beast, another monster in UConn, the most complete team in the tournament. They go nine deep. They got linked on the outside with their guards. So, again, I just uh, – we both saw that coming. We both liked UConn. We both saw, uh, you know, UConn winning that game last night. Uh, the total – there were some people that uh, were sitting around me saying, oh, this thing's a dead under, dead under, because, you know, it was like nine to five for the longest time. But, uh, you know, second half, uh, you know, both teams kind of uh, increased the pace a little bit. But, you know, back to San Diego State, great season. But what they saw Monday night uh, here in Houston was nothing, absolutely nothing that resembles the Mountain West Conference at all. So, um, you know, again, you know, credit to them for getting there. But I think they they had a, a pretty viable path to get to the championship game. Yeah, there's no question, TC. When you look at it, I mean, technically, looking at this just based on the seeding, look at the seeds. They've, the number 12 College of Charleston, they're supposed to beat them. Then they get lucky and they play Furman in the second round. The 13th seed, they're supposed to beat them. Then, of course, they play the number one team in the country. Their most impressive game, as you said, Alabama only three three-pointers, but you do have to credit that tenacious defense of San Diego State for part of that, unlike an 
and, and I don't want to sit here and rip on UNLV, and it's not a conversation about that, but we see a team regularly at the Thomas and Mac that really lacks when it comes to guarding on the perimeter. San Diego State is not one of those teams. They get out on you, and if they know you can score from deep, they are in your face. They they rotate. Their off-the-ball coverage is, is incredible. Uh, it's just a very sound defensive team. And But again, Alabama was the one seed, so that was the huge upset. Then Creighton, again, a lower, a higher seed. So even though Creighton might have been slightly favored in that game, San Diego State seed-wise was supposed to win that game. Florida Atlantic's a nine seed, so th- then they came up against a four seed. But UConn was at a different level. We saw that here at the, at, you know, at T-Mobile Arena, watching that team, I mean, just dismantle a Gonzaga team that was poised to make a runner to national championship as well. Drew Timmy, uh, one of the greatest college careers, probably almost rivaling Christian Leitner's without the championships, um, as far as what he meant to that program, what he meant to that conference, and what he meant to college basketball. And he was non-existent. What a terrible way to go out the worst game of his collegiate career. But that was also attributed to the tenacity of that UConn team. They just, Danny Hurley had them playing on all cylinders, both offensively and defensively. There was matchup problems all over the board. Newton might have been one of the biggest matchup problems for any team that played him. A guy that starts the season, TC, not at a point guard, works his way into that position and ends up being the point guard bar, point guard on the national championship team. And you got to remember, you know, UConn had that stretch where they lost six out of seven games in the middle of the season, the beginning of the Big East season. They started off, you know, House of Fire went winning their first 11 games in a row. But the reason that they struggled during that stretch was because they didn't have a point guard, if you remember. And uh, they were trying to mix and match, and uh, Newton became that point guard, and they started taking better care of the basketball. That is probably the only weakness with the UConn Huskies is that they are a little bit turnover prone. But credit to them because the six games in the NCAA tournament, uh, their turnovers you know, were down to a minimum. They got a little bit sloppy, especially in the first half last night. But uh, the rest of the, the guys stepped up. Um, you know, when you, when you look at their defense and, you know, really when you look at Trammell on the point, he, he, he had no clue last night. He had no chance when you're, you know, guarded by six, four, six, five guards. And you got to remember the shortest guy that UConn starts in their, their basic rotation of about eight guys is six, five. That, that's the smallest guy, the guy they have six, five. And you, know, you, you talk about Jackson, you talk about Hawkins. Hawkins is, is a first-rounder. Sonogo is a first-rounder. And how about this? You know, when Sonogo goes to the bench, you get Klingon, who comes in, a 7-1 freshman. And this guy isn't only playing, you know, six, seven minutes a game. They're pretty much splitting, you know, that power forward or that center position uh, with Klingon and Sonogo pretty much right down the middle. They don't lose a beat. I don't know of another team, and I talked to quite a few coaches here, said the exact same thing, that you don't, you don't have that. I mean, you know, they're not in the game at the same time. They never are. So it's not the Twin Towers effect like we saw with Akeem Olajuwon or Ralph Sampson back in the day. But it's, it's, a, it's a huge post presence for 40 consecutive minutes that Dan Hurley can throw out there. And to me, that was a big difference that UConn has where nobody else does in this tournament. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, before the game, Brian Dutcher was saying, well, I've got bigs that can take fouls and handle that. They couldn't. And, you know, so many, the guys off the bench on UConn are so active and so important. Guys like Joey Calcaterra just comes off the bench, bangs a couple of big three-pointers. They're so hard to defend, and you you'd never, they just make the game completely uncomfortable all the time. TC, one thing I wanted to ask you about this, you know, you had mentioned, uh, you know, uh, you know the, the, the little guy on 
San Diego State, who really had a great tournament. It was a big responsibility for getting them, Darian Turmel. But the guy that San Diego State goes by and dies by, and at the beginning of the season this year, all we heard about was Matt Bradley, best player in the Mountain West Conference. This is the best NBA prospect, this, that. TC, starting really with the Mountain West Conference, even though they won it, and even though they got to the championship game of the NCAA tournament, it was almost in spite of him. I mean, he had a great game against Florida Atlantic, 32 minutes, the most he had played minutes-wise, you know, since the regular season, and and 21 points in that game. But other than that, he only had two other two other double-digit figures. I mean, how about against Alabama? They win in spite of the fact Matt Bradley plays for 19 minutes, one point, no assists, hmm. and six rebounds. What is there something wrong with this guy, or did, did he just lose his confidence? And the same thing happened in the Creighton game uh, as well, too. A game that, you know, you can make the argument they, they should have lost, or at least you know, could have been playing, you know, more in, in overtime uh, with a controversial, uh, you know, call at the end. But that's another story. But you're right. Uh, where is Matt Bradley? And that was a big thing. And when I was watching the game last night, Brian, I was saying to myself, where, and even to do a couple of San Diego State fans, like, where's your boy? Where's Matt Bradley? He was on the bench for lengthy periods of time last night, especially uh, at the end of the first half. And in the second half, it's like, okay, I mean, they're, it is it's five six minutes to go in the game, and Bradley has was has been on the bench basically from that twelve minute mark to like the five minute mark. I'm going, you know, you're making your run, you're you're coming down, you're, you're now down by five, the closest you got, and then you know, blink of an eye, boom, there goes UConn up by by ten, twelve, thirteen again. But Bradley non-existent, and the only thing that I could get out of this, and I was talking to some San Diego State, uh, you know, people who cover the team, and they go, Dutcher is just really in love with his bench. And he thinks that he can match UConn, you know, man for man going to the bench. And this is, this is it for you. You may never get here again. So if you got a horse like Bradley, Mount West Conference Player of the Year, and guys like Lamont Butler, especially Bradley, he can't come off the floor. If he's supposed to be your guy, okay, he cannot come off the floor. And uh, it, it, it is mind-boggling at the substitution pattern. And I don't think you'd see that with Steve Fisher. You can say all you want, Brian Dutcher, you know, a great, you know, great job, great program. But come on, let's be honest. I mean, this team hadn't won a game uh, in the NCAA tournament since 2018 before this run, right? So I think, again, a, a very um, convenient path that they had here. I still don't think much of San Diego State. I loved UConn last night. San Diego State is content to, to keep the game in, in the 60s, sometimes even in the 50s, like we saw the Creighton game. And the bottom line is you cannot have that plan of attack against a UConn team or any team in the Big East for that matter. And, you know, UConn just battle-tested, just battle-tested where the San Diego State Aztecs weren't. Well, you see, I disagree a little bit where I do give a lot of credit to San Diego State. It's The problem is it's boring basketball. It is strictly a defensive lockdown type of basketball, and that can be boring. But again, it took them to the championship game. I, I think, TC, I don't know if it was Brian Dutcher. Maybe that's the excuse he used, trying to match up, and he can match up with anybody and bring people off the bench. I really think he saw something, and, and the coaches saw something, getting together saying, Bradley just looks out of sorts. He looked at times like a deer in headlights, 
you know, and he really did, especially in that Creighton game. It's like, oh my God, the passes he was making, the missed rebounds, the missed shots, some of them didn't even look good. I was astonished at that, and I think he's definitely hurt his draft status. If I'm an NBA scout and watching that, I'm thinking, he better be hurt. Something better come out that this guy's hurt, or he drops way down on my list, and that was just, you know, my opinion on that, but with Brian Dutcher, what I will say about this guy, and and, and I, I don't disagree. I think Steve Pitcher would have rode, would have rode the Bradley horse. Play good or play not, that is our horse. We're going to keep him in the game. I probably would have done that as well in a in a tournament of this magnitude, a one shot to get this far. You've got to bring out your best horses. And Bradley, I agree, should never have left the floor. But what I love about Brian Dutcher is, you know, this guy when he recruits, he goes into superstars' houses. You know, the best players he can find, and he literally tells them, "Look, here's the deal. We want you to represent San Diego State. We have something special here." But if you don't play defense, you won't play. And I mean, and, and it's proven. Every one of those guys, when they're playing on the court, they play great defense. And I thought that might have been part of the problem with Bradley. He didn't seem to be as active, especially without the ball, as you need a guy with his stature and his skill set to be. And um, and would they have won it? Bradley played 40 minutes? No. They weren't, they weren't beating UConn. It was still amazing that they got as far as they did. But again, that is something to gonna be see down the road. I'm looking forward to the NBA draft and where Bradley ends up falling now because I do not think he is a guy that uh, is going to be picked in the first round and who knows man he might have to be a guy that's a free agent and try to get on a team because I didn't see an NBA player in any of the games other than maybe the Florida Atlantic game when I was watching Matt Bradley no I I agree with you and and again uh, all good points that uh, you're making there with Bradley and again your best players bottom line they've got to step up and yeah, Dutcher does a great job of recruiting guys. And, you know, when you're talking about the San Diego State program, and, you know, I've said this all, all along here, that they're cut above everybody in the Mountain West Conference because they don't, they keep their guys. It's not that they're in love with the transfer portal, you know, like uh, we've seen, you know, UNLV go through and, and, and other teams as well, too. But for the most part, San Diego State and Boise State to a certain degree, maybe a lesser degree, but San Diego State, you know, they have a plan in place. They want to keep their guys there for at least three years, and uh, they usually do a, a fantastic job of doing that. And again, you know, cream of the crop in the Mountain West Conference. But the bottom line is, Brian, you know as well as I do, you know, the teams that you're facing the Mountain West, they're, they look nothing like UConn. And heck, uh, they look nothing like, like Miami uh, as well, too. I mean, there, there, there's another team and other teams, you know, maybe even like Creighton as well, too, because Creighton's got size and they can stroke from the outside. And, and again, uh, you know, on, on a different day, Creighton probably, you know, beats San Diego State. But I just think that, again, you know, they are great in the Mountain West Conference, but their style of play is is different than a lot of other teams. They want to grind it out. And uh, another thing, too, is the officials. You know, we talked about going into this game. How are the officials going to call it? Okay. The Creighton game, remember, there are only 22 fouls called in that entire game and seven in the first half. Referees let them play a little bit. The referees did not do that, especially uh, in the second half. I mean, if they were in the double bonus, I'm talking about um, UConn was in the double bonus, okay, at the 12-and-a-half-minute mark. Think about that. I mean, you're not going to win games like that. No. And they decided to call things very, very tight. So, again, you know, that, that played into UConn's hands as well. But the bottom line, like we talked about, uh, UConn, the better team, the deeper team, the better coach team, uh, just better talented team all the way around. 
and, uh, and kudos to them. TC, before I let you go, your, your overall experience this year, I mean, put it this way, I did have friends that got tickets to the Final Four. They go every year, and before the Final Four, they were bummed. They're like, oh, my God, I'm going to see San Diego State, Miami, Florida Atlantic, and UConn. That's not what I expected when I went to the Final Four, when I bought my tickets. So, it, it, you know, before the tournament, it looked like, you know, this is not going to be a great Final Four, or at least as far as the teams you're expecting to be there. But what was your overall take on the experience down in Houston? I know they've had the Final Four there before. As a matter of fact, UConn knows it very well. They seem to play pretty damn well in Texas, no matter who's coaching the squad. But what was your take of the overall experience? Overall experience was fantastic. And for me, Brian, there, there was no difference from going last year to New Orleans. And when you had the Blue Bloods, you know, when, when you had, uh, you know, Kansas and Villanova and North Carolina, and that, I mean, it was, it, it, it was great. But you had the Blue Bloods. And here's what I say to people that, Say, that have that and I hear that all the time you know leading up to this oh man it's going to be you know kind of a lackluster final four no this is college basketball 2023 and beyond okay because the transfer portal is so prevalent now teams are older so you're going to have uh the Florida Atlantics of the world and you know we've seen that you know going back with Butler years ago they kind of started this trend of of uh you know the the mid-major conferences you know Gonzaga way back when that these teams can play. And if, ever, if anyone has uh, never seen Florida Atlantic play, they are no joke. And just, you know, seeing them up close and personally, you mentioned I got a chance to see, you know, UConn four times. Uh, you know, we saw UCLA, we saw Gonzaga a whole bunch of times with the WCC and, uh, you know, T-Mobile as well too. But Florida Atlantic can match up with that. And they're an older team. When you're looking at some of these teams that are in the final four, their average age is 23 years old. San Diego State had seven seniors. So I think this is the wave of college basketball. And if you like college basketball, if you like basketball in general, then you love this. If you're just a casual basketball fan and you don't follow it that closely, immediately you're going to be kind of, well, I'm kind of disengaged. That means you're not watching it. Because if you're watching this tournament, I mean, this is one of the greatest March Madness tournaments we've ever had. Another 16-seed win has only happened two times in the history. Okay, and it happened again this year. 15 seed advanced again. Uh, you know, with a 13 seed, like you mentioned, a nine seed for the first time ever goes to the final four. Uh, a four, and you know, a phony four because we know you cost a lot better than a four. But you know, throw those seedings out. So that's what I tell people. And I think everybody, the 73,000 was there on Saturday night for the final four, and the 73,000 that were there last night for the championship game. They'll tell you this was a great experience because. The underdog almost pulled it off again. No reason Florida Atlantic could not have been in that championship game. And then that's going to add to the story. So for me, we saw great college basketball. Florida Atlantic won 35 games this year. I'll make that 30, you know, 35 games. I mean, an amazing run. And so many other teams, when you looked at your brackets, that's why everyone's brackets got blown up, right? It was so unpredictable. And then you're looking from a point spread perspective. Look at the lines. I mean, you, you had, you know, these blue bloods, you know, four or five, six point favorites over, you know, uh, much lower seeded teams. So this is the wave of college basketball. Myself, I love it. And, uh, you know, people who cover the sport, they love it as well, too. Get used to it. This is the new wave of college basketball. The one and done's are done, baby. This is, the, and, I'll, and I like it better because if you get guys that stay in your program a little bit longer, that's just better for college basketball.
Oh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think when you see teams like Florida Atlantic, like San Diego State, like Miami get this far, it's because they have a senior-laden team. They, it's a program that doesn't go after guys that are looking to get right to the NBA and use their program for a year or two. And I do love a tournament like this. My takeaway, TC, on this end was, you know something? I learned a couple of things. One, Wow, Conference USA surprised the hell out of me. You got you got Florida Atlantic that makes it to the Final Four. You go to the you go to the NIT tournament. We see the championship game first time ever, not in Madison Square Garden here at the Orleans in in uh, Las Vegas. And you see two U.S. Conference U.S. teams go at it head to head for the championship game in UAB in North Texas. And then you look over at the CBI, the Forgotten Tournament, and you got Charlotte who wins it there. Every team that made the tournament in the CBI won at least one game that made a postseason tournament and then with the conference usa i should say and then the big east the big east man uconn getting back there was huge for that conference look at how good they played they also had a very good conference in including the the national champion and you're right and you want to go back uh you know years ago you got to remember memphis came out of conference usa smu had a little bit of a run you know uh you know you know playing out of there as well too so conference usa it has been a conference and it's gone through some changes like a lot of the mid-majors because they lose teams to the power five you know conferences you know we get that but kudos they can play basketball like i said those guys can play basketball and you know i watched north texas uh you know a, a couple weeks ago and what their their opening round game and i said wow i mean this team can play they got one of the best guards in the country that you never heard of before and uh so yeah you, you hit the nail on the head with that the these conferences uh, can play, but kudos to that conference, man. A Final Four, uh, both teams in the NIT get an NIT champion, you get a, CIB, a CBI champion, no other conference can lay claim to that. And you got to be careful when you schedule anyone from the Conference USA uh, or some of these other mid-majors in non-conference games, you're going to get the upsets. So, uh, again, I love it. I, I, I love the upsets. I love the underdog stories. I love the Cinderella stories. And, uh, you know, inside, I was kind of rooting for Florida Atlanta to hang on to that because I want to see that Cinderella run continue, not just because, oh, it's Florida Atlantic, because I loved watching those guys play. I mean, seeing a, a seven-foot big man who had great footwork, you know, down low, and then uh, then you had, you know, four interchangeable guards, basically. That's a fun team to watch, man. And, uh, you know, hopefully they keep their coach, Dusty May. Hopefully that they can, uh, you know, uh, be a little bit more than, say, Florida Gulf Coast was. Remember, they, they shocked the world, but then Andy Infield left, and then, you know, their program kind of went down the drain a little bit. So hopefully they can continue it going and other teams will do the exact same thing and and we'll have some better brand of basketball all the way through. No question. My favorite time of the year. I love March Madness. If you are a sports fan, this is the pinnacle. And we got, we were treated, especially here in Vegas, to all these basketball tournaments. I feel so, so spoiled being here, TC. What a great March Madness and culminated with the best team in the tournament winning the tournament. As you said, a false number four seed. They were a lot better than that. He is the doctor, TC Martin in Houston. I got the airport right. I better stick with it when I'm, when I'm, uh, on a roll, and uh, he's getting on a plane. TC will be back in studio tomorrow to talk to all of you. Go ahead, TC Martin. This so this wouldn't be a TC Martin show without a dinner report from last night. Oh, dinner, well, dinner report last night. Let me. I got. I got to jog my memory. Last night. Oh no. Well, no. I, there was no dinner report. You'd be highly disappointed because it was a Monday night in Houston. Very few places stay uh, stay open late. Because it, the tip-off was 8.20 p.m. Central Time, right? I didn't get out of the arena till midnight. By the time we got done with 
uh, you know, interviews and taking pictures and doing all that other kind of stuff and hearing from the coaches and everything. Uh, yeah. So I didn't get back to the hotel till one o'clock. So what did I have to settle for? It wasn't bad. Uh, a late night pizza that was open 24 hours, a space city, give them a shout out, pretty good pizza, but not what I was anticipating. But that's why I had to, uh, to load up today on the mushroom burger that, that I posted earlier. Dumb Chuck, Brian, you probably saw it, I but saw it. Uh, outstanding, outstanding with the burger joints been here like 25 years, the fresh cut fries. And, uh, and what I didn't post was, uh, the delicacy of the root beer float as well, too. Oh man, so, you didn't uh, post the root beer float. I, I didn't post the root beer float. Oh, yeah, I didn't that, that, sound, that yeah. sounds so good. T.C. Martin eats better than anyone in the state of Nevada. I'll tell you that right now. And he's got some of the best dinner guests around. If you check out his Facebook page, you will see it's always enjoyable. I get stuck on it at least once a week. T.C., appreciate you taking the time out before you travel to join your own show and look forward to having you back in studio tomorrow. Brian, I appreciate uh, you, you filling in today, man. I really do. And uh, always great uh, you know, having you part of the show, brother. And uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Fun chopping it up, man. Very cool. T.C. Martin, again, will be back tomorrow as he is every weekday from 2 to 4 p.m. streaming live at tcmartinshow.com. I'm Brian Feldman. Justin Tuck behind the wheels of steel today with me. And we're going to take a quick break. On the other side, we will have Darren Millard, uh, one of the voices of the Vegas Golden Knights. Hey, everyone. This is Carnell, a.k.a. Golden Pipes, and I want to welcome you back to the T.C. Martin Show. All right, we are back live in the T.C. Martin Studios here in Las Vegas. And uh, just remember, the T.C. Martin Show is every Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. streaming live at tcmartinshow.com. If you miss any part of the show or any show, Go to tcmartinshow.com under the post, the podcast section. Also, check out the interview page and hear from the great guests. Go to the current and classic interview pages anytime at tcmartinshow.com. And don't forget to come by and see the show live every Friday, 2 to 4, at the Superbook at the Westgate, Las Vegas, the world's largest sports book, home of the giant 4K video wall. Watch the games in comfort in a non-smoking environment, the world-famous Superbook at the Westgate, Las Vegas, while we transition from March Madness to the VGK, the Vegas Golden Knights. And joining me now on the KSHP studio line is Darren Millard. Darren, of course, a member of the Vegas Golden Knights TV crew, as well as uh, he is a co-host of the show that you can hear every single day during the week, I should say. And that is a, a station just down the dial on Fox, and that's uh, Monday through Friday at 2, 2 to 4 p.m., where he is there with Ryan, the hockey guy, Wallace. Uh, Darren, appreciate you taking time out to join the show today. What's up, buddy? Uh, you know, well, the Vegas Golden Knights are up, and uh, what a classic game last night, kind of indicative of what we've been seeing from this team since the All-Star break. Just a team that finds a way. That, that you know, there's times we've seen them let down, but, you know, they started this season like a house on fire. They had their lull, and then since the All-Star break, this has been a hockey team geared to make a run at what Bill Foley's been wanting since day one at a Stanley Cup trophy. Yeah, there's not really a blueprint for how they've been winning since the All-Star break other than one goal wins and close encounters that they managed to just come out on the uh, on the right side of. But it's uh, in a short sample, you go, okay, they're just uh, uh, finding uh, different possibilities to, to win. But uh, over the, the last 
seven to eight weeks, uh, you, you factor it into they've got a real uh, formula here. And uh, and it's not the same. Some nights it's goaltending, some nights it's uh, star players. Uh, but uh, for the vast majority, of it, it's, it's foot soldiers uh, coming in and, and supplying offense. And the last couple of wins, they've had goals from guys that have their third of the year, their fifth of the year, their sixth of the year, their eighth of the year. Uh, that's, uh, that's pretty interesting when you beat a division leader like Minnesota in back-to-back games uh, with that type of uh, support. Especially the way Minnesota's been playing since the All-Star yeah. break as well. This team has maybe been the hottest team in the National Hockey League, worked their way all the way up to the top of their division, and a team that's going to be, could be a force to be reckoned with. Marc-Andre Fleury struggling a little bit. They bring in a Gustafson, who's turned out to be, you know, maybe their star goalie, but they're rotating regularly. But talking about goalies, Darren, the biggest question mark at the beginning of this year was, was could Logan Thompson handle the load of being the number one goaltender? They go out and they get Aiden Hill to back him up. Lauren Brossois, they knew would come back at some point, but it was that the, you name all three of those guys, zero postseason experience. And I was saying at the beginning of the year, the postseason is a dis- different animal in the National Hockey League. When you talk about people elevating their games, watch a regular season game on the ice and watch a postseason game on the ice. You don't think it can get any faster when you watch a regular season game. Then you see them in the postseason like, oh my God. And yet, these guys have handled the pressure to this point, but then going out right at the trading deadline and being able to acquire a guy like Jonathan Quick, who had maybe the most magical run in history in 2012, I think pays tremendous dividends for this team. Well, the three guys that you mentioned that don't have the postseason experience uh, also came into this year having never been a number one guy. And they've all been the number one guy at various points of this campaign, and none of them have been phased by it. Uh, Logan Thompson stepped in and earned himself a berth in the All-Star game. Uh, Aiden Hill was spectacular at the time of his injury, and it's really too bad. I feel so uh, upset for him, uh, given where he had taken his game and the consistency and the calmness uh, in his game. And then Lauren comes up and is able to just fit in like a glove. And it's like this system that Bruce Cassidy deploys where you will give up some possession time, you will give up some zone time, and you will give up opportunities. But most of them to the outside is seemingly designed for Lauren Brassois, and and he's fit uh, perfectly. And in between all that, you you had that uh, contribution by Jonathan Quick. So uh, I wouldn't say that all the questions have been answered, but based on those that have been taken care of at the first uh, nine-tenths of the year, you got to have some confidence that whoever it is is going to be able to step in and uh, be relevant and uh, supply you some goaltending. And then they have uh, a, a backup. And then hopefully when Logan Thompson comes back, they'll have three healthy goaltenders, uh, notwithstanding any possibility of Aiden Hill returning. Yeah, that, that's the thing with Aiden Hill not returning. I mean, you know, was it sheer irony that they get Jonathan Quick and then Aiden Hill follows that transaction up with the best game of his NHL career? I said right away, Jonathan Quick is paying dividends already. These guys know, yeah, he might be 37 years old. Yeah, he may be in the very twilight of his career, not had a great deal of success for a couple of months in L.A., but this guy we know still has it. And we saw with Marc-Andre Fleury when he came here and they said he 
was washed up and he was an afterthought and he comes to Vegas and probably at some point in time they'll erect a statue of that guy in front of T-Mobile Arena. Well, Jonathan Quick, a similar situation, you know, they ship him off to Purgatory in Columbus. Luckily, it works his way that he ends up a Vegas Golden Knight, a great transaction considering what they had to give up, which was basically nothing to get him. And you get this guy to come here, but to me, it's not so much what he may give them on the ice. It's what he gives the other goaltenders knowing he's sitting there waiting for an opportunity. And if Jonathan Quick gets an opportunity in the postseason and is able to recapture some of that magic of his past two Stanley Cup seasons, that's a guy that could never leave the net. Well, you brought up the Aiden Hill performance after the acquisition of Jonathan Quick. And, and to be quite honest, Brian, that could go one of two ways. You could uh, receive the performance that Aiden Hill gave you, or there could be a sizable intimidation factor of a future Hall of Famer sitting on the bench looking over your shoulder and you don't respond as well. And uh, I've been impressed with the way not just Aiden handled it, but Yuri Patera. Uh, when he was on the road, he had to follow up a shutout on back-to-back nights and, and stepped in one that was fantastic. Lauren Brassois has been uh, practicing with him, looking at him, uh, following him uh, his entire career, and has uh, has stepped in and started the last two games ahead of Jonathan Quick and been really good. So that, that's been the most uh, impressive part for me is just their reaction to having him there and not being intimidated by that. I and not that Jonathan Quick is is uh, just waiting to pounce uh, on them and any uh, misfortune, but we're we're all human. We all know what he's capable of and what he has done in the past. And uh, in in a lot of uh, situations, uh, that uh, that transpires uh, in a different result. So uh, that that's been positive. And I don't know whether Jonathan Quick, quite honestly, can carry you for two months of the Stanley Cup playoffs anymore. But I love what he can do for short spurts and give your team energy. And if you have to ham and egg it, uh, and I've looked at the, the goaltenders, uh, the teams in the National Hockey League, and eight of the per- potential 16 teams right now uh, have legitimate question marks on who they will start in game one of the Stanley Cup playoffs. So Vegas isn't alone in this. If you have to ham and egg it and, and go back and forth between a couple of different guys or three guys like Carolina did last year, you have to do it uh, and, and lean on these guys. And they're, they're in a good situation to have that type of depth. We're talking to Darren Millard, Vegas Golden Knights TV crew, and of course, uh, Darren Millard is um, on the VGK Insider Show on Fox, Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m., along with Ryan the Hockey Guy Wallace. Uh, Darren, I put you on the spot now. We're talking about goaltenders. We know Aiden Hill probably isn't going to be available. It looks like he's done. Logan Thompson, you know, it looks like he will come back. If you have Logan Thompson, you have Jonathan Quick, and you have Laurent Brossois. You know, Yuri Patera sitting there down in while well, Henderson's done, but sitting down there, uh, you know, waiting to potentially get a call. Who's the two guys? Who do you have starting and who do you have on the bench if everyone's healthy come postseason? So if everybody's healthy and everybody's played a couple of games and everybody's sort of starting from, from the same point, uh, Logan Thompson would probably end up being the number one guy based on his body of work with the organization this year, and you might have a situation where you rotate the backup. But uh, I, I do believe that you will see multiple goaltenders uh, throughout this this run uh, should it go, and they'd be fortunate enough to go deep enough. It's just that type of position nowadays, and uh, you're going to have to have and get contributions potentially from, from, from all three. And so I think that's a good situation. But if, if you're starting from scratch and everybody's equal, 
uh, I'd have a hard time going against uh, somebody that was so impressive at the start of the year like Logan was. Yeah, I think Logan's earning that number one spot. And I said what you said. I said it's going to be hard not to put Jonathan Quick on the bench as your number two guy just to have him there with all the experience he has. But you can't what, – what, what Lauren Brossois has done, and again last night, where the shootouts have not been his area of expertise this year, he stood tall last night at the biggest moment. And speaking of standing tall last night, I mean, you know, they're going to run into problems when everyone gets healthy, Darren. I mean, now you've got uh, Dorofiev. I mean, this kid was – wasn't even supposed to play last night. Chandler Stevenson is sick, and Dorofiev comes back in lineup. Oh, and what does he have? Not just two goals in regulation, including the game-tying goal with under a minute to go in the third period, but he scores the goal in, in, in the shootout that literally gives them an opportunity to keep playing and ultimately get the win with Riley Smith's goal. Well, you mentioned two players, Pavel Dorofiev and Riley Smith, who were not in the lineup for the front half of that home-and-home. And they stepped in. They were uh, very uh, cognizant of their value and their role in, in giving them some jump, but also delivered with Dorothy Evan regulation, Riley Smith with, with a point to, to set him up. Uh, he now has points in 10 of his last uh, 11 games, uh, going back to before the injury. And then the two of them who didn't play in the front half of the, the set, uh, both score in the shootout. So I, does that not really uh, sum up the way the Vegas Golden Knights have have delivered is since the All Star break is just who whose t- turn is it tonight? And it just happened to be the rookie and the veteran who played on the same line last night. Uh, pr- pretty impressive. I, you look around, and I get calls from from people around the league, and they're like, oh, "We don't know how you how it's happening. How how do that team's doing it? How how that uh, hockey club that you're watching is is delivering win after win after win." And uh, it is it is a, a rotating cast of, of heroes. Yeah, it is truly the epitome of one of the oldest adages in sports to be successful, and that is plug and play. And the Vegas Golden Knights have done that this season, as well as you're going to see any sports franchise in any league do what they're doing. They keep finding people to get the job done, and they plug them in. I mean, look at Ben Hutton. I mean, he almost had goals in back-to-back games. I mean, I know yeah. Polisar ended up getting the deflection in front of the net. They didn't call it till a little, little later on. But how big has he been, you know, getting his opportunity to get back on the team? These guys come up, and they don't want to go down well ben hutton missed uh, 21 straight as a healthy scratch and has played three of his last four and has been outstanding in them uh, he played uh, went back in broke the drought against the edmonton oilers and was uh, was an even player uh, on the road and beat the best offense in the national hockey league and then has has played extremely well in the in the last couple of games in which uh, which he's gone in and uh, and now played four of the last five and and producing points and and make, getting power play time and is uh, extremely uh, productive and comfortable. And he's he's got right. He's got four hundred plus games in the National Hockey League. We kind of forget that uh, at times. But uh, but there's a guy who uh, told me uh, quite honestly he's leaned on that experience and that confidence uh, despite not playing uh, and being the extra uh, in knowing that and having the belief that he can play. And and he's been great. If if you're happiest for players while well, you're Laurent Brassois spending four months in the American Hockey League coming up and has a point in all seven starts this year, uh, unbelievable performance uh, and worked his butt off after the surgery. And then Ben Hutton, who's, uh, who's as Darren Elliott uh, told me, uh, that job is not cut out for everybody. Not not every athlete can do what Ben Hutton's done and not have it affect himself and the room. 
from a complaining or a chip on the shoulder or a, a distraction uh, standpoint. And Ben Hutton has done it. And uh, I hold him in the highest regard for being able to do it and then go out and perform in the best league in the world. No question about it. You know, you look at the acquisitions they made before the trade deadline. A lot of people might not have heard of some of these guys. You know, Ivan Barbashev, what a tremendous acquisition he is. Teddy Bluger, a guy that will have everyone's back on the ice. You might not see a lot of offensive production, although he's done pretty well for the Vegas Golden Knights, but he is a guy that has everyone's back. He is a guy that's a position player. He's always in the right place at the right time and a guy that's going to help your team out. And of course, Jonathan Quick, um, you know, we, 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 we can't beat a dead horse into the glue fan factory on what I think this guy means, just the presence of him on this team. But again, talking about these players and all the players they plugged in play this year, Darren, I've got to ask you, you know, if everyone's healthy, say somehow they get Mark Stone back going into the postseason and everybody is healthy, who, in your opinion, would be the biggest surprise that has distinguished themselves to the point if everyone were healthy, they're going to be on the ice? Boy, that's a difficult question because uh, everybody has them in healthy, and and you've never really put yourself in the position of of having to answer that question. But on the blue line, if everybody's healthy, it's the status quo. It's your starting six uh, defensemen. If everybody's healthy up front, and and I don't know whether Will Carrier is going to be there, so I'm I'm not going to include him. Uh, there is hope that uh, that Mark Stone can can come back and play at some point uh, during a lengthy Stanley Cup playoff run. Uh, that'll be that'll be down the road. Uh, he, I would assume that he would go back uh, with a, with a, a Jack Eichel type setup, but that, then you've got some some things to work with uh, with your center Iceman. Uh, Pavel Dorfiev has been outstanding, but he wasn't supposed to play last night. Uh, that's where they are uh, on their depth side of, uh, of things. Uh, uh, Paul Cotter has, has uh, a career year as, as a rookie uh, coming in with uh, more than 10 goals. Uh, that, that part has been, been unexpected. So uh, I, I think uh, without answering your question directly, uh, they're going to have an opportunity to put players in who have legitimate ability to contribute offensively uh, in, in a pinch, uh, say an injury situation, or uh, whether it's uh, just from a performance standpoint, they want to shake things up. Uh, if, if it's a Dorofiev, if it's a, if it's a Cotter, uh, if it's uh, somebody on that, that fourth line and Matteo, who's, who's now been in for a lengthy stand, standing of time, uh, they, they've got guys who are, who are uh, accustomed to coming up big. And that's going to be their biggest benefit. One of the mainstays has been Brett Howden. And I want to ask you, Darren, yeah. when did Brett Howden become an enforcer? I, I said the same thing last night in our television broadcast that uh, that he's developed this mean streak and and it really I'll tell you exactly when it, it came to the forefront when he came back from the injury and it was right before the the All Star break and he returned against New Jersey and there was a hit on Keegan Colasar Brett Howden jumped in and fought and he's taken that the burr onto the saddle and make the horse buck uh, type of attitude. Uh, throughout this, this return, uh, to the, to the, uh, lineup for the Vegas Golden Knights. And it's impressive. Uh, if, if you know Brett at all, he's, uh, he's a calm. He's a, uh, uh, very polite. He's, he's nothing like what you expect from, uh, that type of get under your skin type guy. And I'm not sure he's the biggest chirper in he's the world. He's Clark Kent. He's Mr. Mild Mannered. 
but he does play the game hard, and I love the way he got into it with Merrill last night. And and in, in any type of scrum situation for the Vegas Golden Knights over the last two months, uh, there's a good chance that he's been right in the middle of it, and uh, I, I've loved it. He, he's an offensive guy. I think of Brett as, as a uh, guy that can uh, and will, uh, as his career develops, uh, put up more and more goals and points. Uh, but this part of his game, I didn't know existed to the depth that it does. And I love every ounce of it. What a breath of fresh air for the Vegas Golden Knights. And finally, tonight they play the Nashville Predators. Um, They were one of the most active teams during the trading, before the trading deadline. Right now, eight players out of the lineup for this team, but they're still hanging around in the playoff race. They're going to have a new, really good GM next year in Barry Trotz as their current uh, David Poyle retires at the end of the season. But Nashville doesn't want to go away. They want that eighth playoff spot. This is a very, very big game for them as it is for the Vegas Golden Knights. What do you see happening tonight? Well, they got to go out on a back-to-back situation for both teams and they have to find a way to to pull out the victory. It's, it sounds uh, basic, but that's exactly what it is, Brian, in the sense of uh, it's a difficult situation against a team that's going to be as desperate as any team uh, that you're going to face due to the fact that uh, a loss of two points for Nashville uh, really limits uh, their opportunity to make the Stanley Cup playoffs, even as uh, as as big reach as it is right now. So uh, I think that uh, that if you can carry on that uh, that momentum that they had last night into uh, the fourth period effect, as as uh, we call it, in a back to back scenario, and try to ride some of that um, wave uh, of goodwill, uh, then you can take advantage of it. But uh, they got they got good goaltending, they got good structure. Uh, I think that'll help the Vegas Golden Knights and the fact that uh, you know what you're going to expect. It's not a loosey-goosey type team uh, like maybe a Philadelphia Flyers or somebody that's uh, that's uh, rebuilding Anaheim Ducks. I think that's actually a benefit in this situation. So uh, uh, I, I don't expect anything different from like in the sense of somebody going out and scoring four goals and five points. It'll be spread around and, and lean in your defense and hopefully John Quick can come up with a big play and we'll see if uh, Chandler Stevenson can... Oh, I don't know. Did we lose Darren? Hello? Oh, there you are. There you are. We lost There you are. Sorry. We I lost. No, I didn't hear you. No, good stuff. Yeah, we didn't hear you for a second either. Good stuff. And the Vegas Golden Knights, five games left in the season. Still a chance for them to get 50 wins, which would be incredible for the season. Forget about what Boston's doing. I don't know how anybody beats them in a seven-game series in any level, but it is the Stanley Cup playoff. The President's Cup's teams have not been overly successful. I'm from Detroit. I watched the Red Wings win the President's Cup many times years ago. One of my sickest moments, Darren, was when the Red Wings won the President's Cup, had to play the San Jose Sharks, and Artur Zerbe decided not to let any pucks in the net, and they knocked them out. So it doesn't mean anything. Because people are telling me no one's getting past Boston. You never know. Anything could happen. He is Darren Millard. Uh, you hear him all over the TV stations when you see the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. And, of course, you're going to be on the air very shortly here with uh, the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. So do me a favor. We share the a producer. Chris Chapman is also my producer on Sunday morning for my show. So tell Chris I said, hey, best of luck to the Vegas Golden Knights, and we appreciate you joining the show. 
Awesome stuff. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it, Brian. That was Darren Millard again. Uh, one of the one of the best, uh, in my opinion, one of the best personalities on the broadcast. Funny guy and real happy that he recovered from a motorcycle accident a couple years ago. And it's funny, after that happened to him, uh, Justin, he uh, got himself right back on the broadcast. He's all beat up, but he's like a hockey player. Lose a couple teeth, get a couple stitches, and get back in the game. And that's Darren Millard. We appreciate him. You are listening to the world-famous T.C. Martin Show, The Doctor, back in studio tomorrow. I'm back for another hour after this break right here on the T.C. Martin Show. We'll see you shortly. Prescription from the doctor. And Saul says, pay pass a big ticket. T.C. Martin. Oh, here comes the Birdman. Flapping his wings and soaring for a sweet flush. When you're aerodynamically designed with that hairdo, you can do those kinds of things. With that sweet mohawk. The doctor is now in. Unos, dos, tres. Ole. Ole. Well, we'll call me the doctor's assistant, Brian Feldman. In studio, filling in for the doctor himself, T.C. Martin, who is down in Houston on his, on a flight right now, heading back to Vegas, and he'll be back in studio tomorrow. And don't forget, uh, the T.C. Martin Show is every Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m., streaming live at tcmartinshow.com. If you miss any part of the show or any show, go to tcmartinshow.com under the podcast section. Also, check out the interview page and hear from the great guests. Go to the current and classic interview pages anytime at tcmartinshow.com, and don't forget get to come by and see the show live every Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. at the Superbook at the Westgate Las Vegas, the world's largest Superbook, home of the giant 4K video wall. Watch the games in comfort in a non-smoking environment, the world-famous Superbook at the Westgate Las Vegas. And we continue with the second hour of the T.C. Martin Show. Still talking March Madness. Uh, I appreciate and thank Darren Millard again for coming on and uh, filling us in and getting us up to date on all Vegas Golden Knights news. Five games left for that team. Again, they play tonight in a couple hours against Nashville, a team on the outside looking in, and the Vegas Golden Knights with the best record in the Pacific Conference, I should say the Pacific Division in the Western Conference, um, and could very well have home ice advantage at least throughout up until the Stanley Cup Finals, so we'll talk more about that in the future. Right now, joining the show is someone who is best known as a member of the successful 1989 through 1991 Runner Rebels uh, from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, of course. He made back-to-back Final Four appearances, including a National Championship in the 1989-90 season where he contributed 29 points in a 103-73 route of the Blue Devils of Duke University before they ever won a national championship and named most outstanding player of the tournament by the Associated Press back in May of 1991. Um, this guy, a friend of mine, and we got to see some of March Madness together, watch some of these games. First and foremost, Anderson Hunt, appreciate you joining the home for the show from my hometown, Detroit. How are you? What's up, brother? How you doing, man? Oh, you know, I'm uh, my pleasure. 
right as rain and uh, and living in, living La Vida Loca in Vegas. You know, what did you think, Anderson? You just got to see before we get into all the tournaments and the stuff we saw. What did you think of last night's game? What was your takeaway? Uh, that UConn was the uh, most dominant team, and then and uh, finally caught up with San Diego State. You can't go long um, long periods of time without scoring. You know, so you know when you make your runs. That's good when you make it run, but you didn't. If you make it run, that means you you was you down double digits or you down triple digits or something. You down. So really, um, like I said, um, UConn was the most dominant team. What 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 to you was the difference in UConn? I mean, you know, San Diego State touted for having this incredible suffocating defense. They defend the perimeter. They defend the paint. But then you've got UConn who does the same thing. But UConn also has some pretty prolific offensive players as well. Oh yeah, you kind of got have about five pros on their team, maybe six. So you know that that was one of the factors. But when you get to clicking at the right time, you know really cannot stop. You know then you only have to win six games. You know six game winning streak. But they was clicking before then. They were. They've been. They've been playing good all all the way throughout. Anderson, you know, since UNLV had their runs, basketball. Once Tark Tark was gone, and that great phenomenal team of the early nineties was gone, UNLV, and then you know, he got Lon Kruger for a while, but really has taken kind of a backseat. And I know we've talked about it, and you've probably discussed it a million times. It's kind of disheartening when this university that you guys really established an identity for has taken this uh kind of taken this back road and not you know haven't established an identity. What does it mean? to you and what do you think it is going to take for UNLV to get some of the luster back that they've had? Man, it's going to take, man, it's going to take a lot, man. It's going to take a lot of people buying into the same system and, you know, from the administration to the head coach to the players, everybody. You know, it's, it's, it's like one system. You know, if a, if a chain is broke, one link out the chain, you know, it's not going to ride. Not going to ride right. So, you know, everybody has to be on the same page. And um, my thing is, you know, we just got to get back to, you know, UNLV basketball. And a lot of people think they don't want really nobody to have to do with TARP, you know, dealing with the um, program. But that would, you know, that's what got us national notoriety. Yeah, you know, most people under the age of 30 don't even know what UNLV basketball is anymore. They see those banners in the stands. They don't realize how hard you guys worked to get those banners and to make everything happen. You know, reflecting back to the Final Four, every year you get to watch it, you know how magical it is, how special it is. One of the greatest events maybe in all of the world, the the Russian roulette one-and-done aspect of that tournament. Talk to me about the opportunity back when you played in it. How special is it, and what does it feel like playing in a tournament of that magnitude? Oh, it's very special. That's why, you know, that's what they call it the uh, big dance. Everybody want to go to the dance, you know, and then when you in the backyard growing up or on the playground with your friends, you always said that you're hitting the last shot in the final four or the championship game. So, you know, it's very special. You know, if any player had a chance to, you know, experience that, that's, you know, memories. You know, and no. you, you guys, you guys uh, um, were, you know, I got to tell you, Anderson, you guys were made the same type of run UConn made this year. You were destroying everyone, even to the championship game, a very stout U- Blue, Devil team, Blue, 
excuse me, Blue Duke Blue Devil team that everybody thought, you know, maybe this team can play with UNLV. You guys didn't even like hearing that, and you beat them by 30 points. It was almost like when I was watching the Running Rebels back in 1990, like I was watching men play amongst boys. What made you guys so dominant? Um, us, against, us against everybody attitude, man. That's what it was about, and all the hard practices um, leading up to all the games, you know, preseason, out there running on the track, um, you know, 110 degrees, 105 degrees in September. So, you know, that's what it was all about, you know, and being in the, in the, um, the camaraderie with the fellas. You know, one of the things I've, you know, we, we, we uh, I should say Anderson and I recently just hung out at a few different basketball tournaments. I got the opportunity to meet him. I never really got personally to ask you about uh, Jerry Tarkanian, your relationship with him and the kind of person he was and how, you know, the stamp that he had on that team and on UNLV basketball. Man, Coach Tark was a, you know, player as far as, you know, he if you if you went to school and played defense, you can get anything you want to. But on top of that, you know he was you know you had to be a good person too. You know he really had a good character. You know judging the character, you know as far as being a good person. If you made mistakes, that didn't make you a bad person. You know so Coach Tucker had that effect on people. And plus, Coach was a master motivator. <laughs> That's one thing I can't say. He was a master motivator. But one time, ain't no what time, every time he used to tell us, he said, man, I'm going to the final four. <laughs> <laughs> you all want to go with me? So, you know, coach is my man. He he got you to believe. What if anything? And, and again, I uh personally, I am a Kevin Kruger fan as a person, as a coach. I, I it's hard to say negative stuff, but again, I just haven't seen a product that looks like it's getting better at UNLV. Anderson, in your opinion, what is it going to take, if if anything, for Kevin Kruger to turn this program around and get them competitive, so UNLV can do something they haven't done for a while, and that's compete for at least a Mountain West a Mountain West Conference title. And you have to get them kids to buy in and stay here, you know, with the um, NIL deals now. And I don't know, what, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I, you know, I wish him well. And like I say, he needs to get some everybody to buy into his system. You know, he gotta get them players that he's been talking to since eighth grade, eighth ninth, because that's where it really starts in recruiting. Don't start in the, um, his junior year, senior year in high school. They start recruiting these guys seventh, eighth grade now. So they have a report with their families and the, um, AAU coaches. So that's what it's going to take. You know, you got to get down, you know, you got to get them cast, you know, with the recruiters that want to go to the inner city as well. No, but, and, and the, you know, and then once you get, once you get the kids from the inner city, you got to get the administration to buy in. And, you know, see if they can pass the UNLV test. Yeah, you would think now with all that's going on in Vegas, having an NFL team, a professional hockey team, soon there'll be an NBA team and a Major League Baseball team here. It's just a matter of time. The population now dictates that. But, Anderson, how cool is it? And how different is Las Vegas now? You know, I know you're living back in Detroit, but you have seen this city change dramatically since the early late 80s, early 90s when you guys were making your run. Now you've got the professional teams here. You've got these incredible arenas, and you have all these tournaments going on in Las Vegas. How different? How different is it for you? And how great is it? Do you think for the state of Nevada and especially Las Vegas? 
Oh, it's real great, man. All the money coming in, especially in March. Not alone, all the concerts and um, the Raiders and Golden Knights. You know, everything, man. It's, you know, it's booming from the first time I set foot in Vegas, uh, 87. It's, man, it's goes, oh, man. I'm saying it's not surprising to me because Coach Tart and a lot of more than um, the older guys or the innovators of Vegas, they seen it. They seen it back in the, you know, back then, what Vegas could be. Well, you know, I think I think they've got the right guy in place as far as the athletic director goes. Eric Harper seems like a no-nonsense guy that is going to give a lot of people a short leash. And, you know, I had the football coach, Barry Odom, on my show on Sunday morning, and he basically said, you know, he is not here, and he's not going to blow a bunch of smoke up people's backside saying, you know, I'm here to rebuild. He knows damn well, especially with Harper. Harper's given people two, maybe three years to get it together. He says, if I don't win now, I know I'm not going to be here. So... I like that philosophy, but what do you think of a guy like Eric Harper running the show here at UNLV? Man, I wish him all the best. And um, I had a chance to, you know, be around him a few times, uh, not including, when I, you know, of course, met him at the Hall of Fame. But um, like I said, I told him I wish him well. And plus, you know, he seemed like a good guy. You know, you got to hang out. I got to hang out with him a few times. But other than that, he a football guy. And uh, he knows his thing, you know, K-State. So, you know, he was the truth. Yeah. You know, I think he gets, you know, I think he gets, gets some big-time um, big uh, games. That's what, that's what um, get your, um, t- you know, university exposure when you schedule them big-time games. I, I agree 100%. And I got to ask you, you're in Detroit right now. First of all, how's the weather there? Oh, by the fact, it's pretty good. It's like 55, but it's cloudy. Well, you it's know, all, it's matter always fact, I'm about to. Uh, I'm about. I'm at Taco Tuesday downtown, <laughs> and about to go to the Piston game. Oh, that's so, outstanding! Well, yeah, a, that's why you hear the music in the back. <laughs> I, I love it. Well, have a taco for me, Anderson, and uh, enjoy your time out there in Detroit. Detroit, also, uh, since I've lived there, I'm very proud of the city as they have cleaned it up, and uh, so much has gone into the new center area, Ford Field, Comerica Park, and you got the the other stadium. All the teams now playing back who they're named after Detroit. I think that's a really big thing, and I'm proud of the city for getting it back together. Anderson, as always, man, appreciate talking to you. Appreciate having you on the show and make sure next time you're in town we get in touch and we'll have you in studio live on the show next time okay no problem man. i'll see you when i get back absolutely once again anderson hunt he was the most outstanding player of the ncaa tournament voted by the associated press back in may of 1991 a good guy and one hell of a point guard for the unlv running rebels a big part of the reason that team went to two final fours and won a national championship in 1991 and uh you know i i do you know it's been really difficult for me when i talk about kevin krueger because as a person you're not going to find a more likable individual this guy is accommodating. He cares about his players. He cares about people in general. He's a family guy. He, you know, he's a guy you want to be friends with. You want to live next door to. But then again, we're talking about coaching a Division One basketball team. And is Kevin Kruger the answer? 
short term and, and, and more importantly, long term for the UNLV running rebels to get themselves back to where they establish some sort of an identity again. You know, my, my intern, and I should say now my co-host, my social media director, Spencer Ostrovsky on my show on Fox and Sunday mornings, you know, we talk about it. You know, he is a UNLV alumni. He looks at those, those, you know, those, uh, banners in on the ceiling. And he wasn't even born when any of those were put up. They mean absolutely nothing to him other than maybe Lon Kruger, Kruger's advancement to the Sweet 16. He, he has no knowledge of any of this stuff. What Tark did, of course, being a sports guy and a UNLV alumni, he knows about Jerry Tarkanian. He studied him. He knows about the allegations. Poor Tark at the end. I mean, it, it took his health away what that guy went through uh, when he really, I mean, he put the the UNLV college on the map by making them a basketball juggernaut for a couple of years and they need someone to establish an identity like that. Kevin Kruger, do I think he could be a basketball coach, an efficient one, a decent one at some point down the road? Well, why not? But I think you need better and more t- mentoring. And you think, well, God, his dad's Lon Kruger, a, a college Hall of Fame basketball coach. Isn't that enough mentoring? No, it's not. You need more time as an assistant at a bigger university. I almost think when his dad left Oklahoma, he should have stayed as an assistant instead of come to UNLV as assistant under TJ Atzelberger. I don't don't think that did him any good. And then he gets thrown to the wolves, you know, and you can't blame him for taking the job, but you know, on her way out the door as her parting way, Desiree Reed Francois elevates him from a losing basketball team, an assistant coach on a losing basketball team to the head coach. And I don't want to say it was unfair to him, man, you take advantage of those opportunities. But again, let's get into the mind of Desiree Reed Francois. I can't get into that mind. I have no idea what she's thinking other than why would you hire Kevin Kruger. Number one, it was easy. He's already here. You know there's no way he's not going to say yes, and you also know that you don't have to pay him very much. So those are going to be reasons that you would initially say, okay, let's get Kevin Kruger. Why else? Well, pedigree. He's the son of Lon Kruger. Lon Kruger's a guy that has been at the very highest level of college basketball. He has coached at major universities. He coached at UNLV, took them to their last Sweet 16. No one will forget that run by Lon Kruger. Matter of fact, Kevin Kruger was a guard on that team that took that run. But in the same respect, that was his, that, that's his experience. You know, played a little bit over in Europe and came back. And I don't think enough mentoring under TJ Otzelberger was enough for him to be ready to take the head coaching job. Is he ready to be a head coach? Maybe at a much smaller university. However, he's here. We're going to support him. I should say when I say the, the media, we're going to be there. We're going to report fairly. Um, I think he's going to get this next season. No one's talked about getting rid of him or firing him other than people in the media, you know, questioning. Should he get a third season? I'm one that says, yes, two years is unfair, but I don't think we will see much of a change in the third season. He went to the portal big time last year, got all of these division one players, you know, from other schools. And you looked at the schools they came from initially when I first saw all the players that, that he did was able to get to commit. And I thought, wow, I don't know who these guys are, but they're all playing at big universities. This is going to be an interesting team. A couple of guys came back. This should be a decent team. And then we saw the product. And I remember sitting with uh with uh you know m- many members of the media uh, watching the beginning the, the the initial games and they went 10 and 0 and we're sitting there watching them granting they're playing a lot of lesser likes but still they beat 
a uh, they beat a Minnesota who turned out to be the doormat of the Big Ten that was maybe the most overrated conference in the country, but it doesn't matter. That is a Division One Power Five conference team, and they beat them. They beat Dayton when Dayton was ranked twenty first in the country. I said at the time Dayton had to come here play. It was like eleven o'clock at night their time. Try not to make excuses why they lost, but UNLV beat them. They also beat Washington State in that ten game run. Those are all schools that when I initially looked at the schedule, I had checked off as a loss. Uh, and so they were surprising wins. They get to 10-0. and 0. You saw the cockiness at some of the press conferences, never by Kevin Kruger, by uh, one or two of the players, and, uh, and, and one of them is leaving. So I, I don't mind mentioning him. But you saw, you saw that. And, uh, and then all of a sudden the losing started and it became like a snowball effect. They were losing to teams that you thought in the Mountain West they will beat and they're better than. At that time, after the 10 game winning streak, it wasn't that I was changing my tune because still what I was watching on the floor, it looked like smoke, smoke and mirrors. To me, it was a house of cards. It was a, it was a, a team that was eventually going to fall. You just saw it and you thought that would happen and it did. And then they really petered off. And, and ended up exactly where they thought they were. They did get a win in the Mountain West Conference play-in game by beating Air Force, and they they did get a um you know they they did get to the second game and they damn near beat Boise State. They went to overtime on an unbelievable last-second hail mary shot, basically from the deep corner baseline, falling out of bounds. It was incredible. But then they got beaten overtime by Boise State. Nineteen wins on the season, not enough to get invited to any of the postseason tournaments, not even the CBI. And uh, that was it. What lies ahead for Kevin Kruger? Well, the 2024, or excuse me, the 2023 season lies ahead for Kevin Kruger, and it is going to be a challenge. San Diego State is definitely losing some players, but they will retool. Dutch is probably one of the best recruiters in the country, let alone the Mountain West Conference. This is a, this is a conference that now is going to be getting a look. What San Diego did, San Diego State did, is made people scratch their heads and say the Mountain West Conference. They did have four teams that made it in the NCAA tournament. Regardless of the fact that Reno had no business being in that tournament, they were an NIT team at best. They bowed out, lost their last five, four or five games of the season, including their first game in the Mountain West Conference tournament. But still, where does UNLV fit into that 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 thought process of what's going to happen next year? And joining me right now on the KSHP resident uh, KSHP studio line is uh, Chris Wynn. And Chris, of course, you, if you don't know Chris Wynn, all you got to do is turn on sports radio Monday through Friday. I promise you will bump into him he is very knowledgeable the guy is has his finger on the pulse of las vegas sports as much as anybody i know i am not i'm not blowing smoke up chris's backside i enjoy listening to him the guy's a hustler and he's at every damn event out there the only guy i think that attends more events than chris win is maybe alan snell who is it who is at every event that has any if, if it was a, if it was um I, I can't even name the event but alan snell would be there chris what do you think you know talking about i know you were one of the guys i mentioned that i watched those early UNLV games with when they were going 10-0 and and we were sitting there being like, oh my God, this is not a good basketball team. And yet they win their first 10 games of the season. Good to join you again, Brian. Absolutely. Uh, and by the way, I got done watching uh, Runner Rebels of UNLV, the documentary again, because I wanted to do it on the anniversary, right? It was the uh, anniversary of the national championship yep. game at McDickles Arena in Denver when Anderson Hunt and Larry Johnson and Stacey and those guys won that national championship back in 1990. You and I, Brian Feldman, a little bit younger back in those days when uh, the Runner Rebels were cutting down the nets up there in Colorado. So, uh, but no question. It's, it, look, 
it's a transition period again. You and I have covered this team uh, professionally for the last decade plus, and it's a program that that really is just longing to get back to the tournament and get back to relevance, right? I mean, since Lon Kruger obviously was the head coach, this is a team that hasn't gone uh, deep into the tournament, much less the Sweet 16. The last appearance, obviously, was the appearance with Dave Rice and his team. I want to say 2000. I want to say it's been a, a decade since they got there. I think it was the loss to Cal, right? And Alan Crabb and that team up there in the Bay Area, uh, where, where was, was the last time they were in the NCAA tournament. So this is a program that is just looking to kind of gain prominence back into the Mountain West, as well as uh, is actually, you know, make an NCAA tournament. And uh, and just kind of establish some kind of reputation, basically, and and they need to and establish some kind of an identity. This team, Chris, as you mentioned, since yeah. Lon Kruger, this team has not had any kind of an identity. You don't know what they're going to be. One thing they have been, and you know they haven't been, is they have really slacked on the defensive end. And you see what defense does when they say defense wins championships. Both UConn and San Diego State, arguably at the end, as good of defensive teams as any team in the country. And both of them were ranked there. And San Diego State and that, that relent, unrelenting defense finally got their just dessert by making it all the way to the NCAA Final Four and Championship game. Regardless of the road they took to get there, regardless of every seed except for one that they beat was a higher seed than them. Uh, and, and so technically you're expected to beat the higher seeds. They still made a run that is epic and to me meant a great deal, not just to their program, but to the Mountain West. It was absolutely enormous. But again, um, to get UNLV in that mix and to get UNLV talked about again, Chris, what do you think? You know, I asked Anderson, what is it going to take? I think it's going to take solid recruiting moves, right? He, Kevin and his staff are going to have to be able not only to recruit on the West Coast and in this region, but Las Vegas is going to be big time. And let me tell you something, Brian. One, a, a real uh, something that could absolutely light the fire is if they're able to keep DJ Thomas, uh, a recruit here in Las Vegas, here to play at UNLV. It's going to be a major boom for this program. A lot, of, a lot of uh, listeners out there might not know who I'm talking about. He's a he's a, a kid who is a big time recruit here in Las Vegas. He's probably going to be a four or five star recruit. I believe he's a senior next year. So it's uh, one more year of high school, and then he's going to be uh, either going to the G League probably or to uh, to college, and he's being recruited by big-time programs, like programs like Kentucky and Duke and others. And But Kevin Kruger has a personal relationship with the family here in town, so it's going to be getting recruits like Thomas and others that, that, that uh, quite frankly, other Mountain West programs don't really have an in on. And look, you, you talked about it at the top of the segment about this team last year, it was absolutely fool's gold coming out of the gate, you know, 10-0 and 0 and, uh, you know, beating like to Dayton. That was great. And, and Minnesota. But uh, it just there was just too many games. And I've talked about this on the air many times. Too many games where Kevin and his team just lost that they had no business losing. Right. Games that that they were absolutely the better basketball team and still found a way to be on the losing end of. So you cannot have those type of games. And so, look, there's, there's some growing pains here for Kevin Kruger as a coach. You mentioned it. 
We all think he's a great guy. We all applaud Kevin as a person, and the Kruger family is top-notch all around, without question. But the rubber has to beat the road. There has to be a situation. There has to be some uh, some experience gained by Kevin. He's got to develop himself as a head coach at the Division One college level. I talked about this. I talk about this all the time. As far as him, I didn't think that he should have gotten the UNLV job right out of the gate as his first head coaching job. I think it was too too big of a job for him out of the gate. I thought he was in over his head, and I think. To, to be honest with you, I think that kind of played out throughout this season. And uh, But, hey, you can't uh, put the genie back on the bottle. You have to actually uh, deal with the situation. So we'll see how he, he handles it moving forward. But recruiting, let, let, let's be honest, Brian, recruiting is massive when it comes to developing a program. We saw it with the San Diego State Aztecs and Brian Dutcher and his staff. So uh, that's going to be a big-time, big-time thing if UNLV is going to get back into Providence when it comes to the Mountain West Conference. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Chris. I think uh, it's going to be a very tall order for Kevin to turn this around. I know as a person, again, I wish him the best. I hope next year when we when we, when we pull up to Thomas and Mack for that season, we see a whole different team, different identity. But again, it's a long shot. You're betting, you're betting, on, you're betting on 150 to one odd long shot. That's how, how far-fetched I think it is that this team is going to turn it around and be competitive next year. They would have to get tremendous help out of the porthole. They lost some really key players to this team that wasn't that good. Uh, they're getting a couple guys back that'll help, but he really is going to have to, I mean, he's going to have to wave a magic wand to make this happen. Listen, stick around if you don't mind, Chris. We are due for our last break here at the T.C. Martin Show. Uh, the doctor will be back in studio tomorrow. He's here Monday through Friday, 4 to 5, excuse me, 2 to 4 p.m. And I am Brian Feldman filling in on the line, Chris Wynn. And Chris, we got a special surprise in a little bit. Uh, my son, who moved to Austin, Texas, is Jacob Feldman, who used to do a radio show with me years ago. Uh, last night was working in Houston, and somebody gave him a pair of tickets to the game, so he actually got to, as a spectator, got to go to the game, and I thought I'd let him call in and tell me about his experience. Plus, he bought me a really cool t-shirt, I guess, that I'm getting in the mail. So for that, I'm going to put him on the show for a second. But um, also, uh, I'm going to ask you a question, Chris, and you can think about this, and uh, because it has to do with Las Vegas to a degree, but we're talking about, I'm going, to say, I'm going to name some things and think about who I'm talking about. New England Patriots, Pittsburgh Steelers, Arizona Cardinals, Cleveland Browns, Houston Texans, Chicago Bears, San Francisco 49ers, New England Patriots twice, Indianapolis Colts, and now the Las Vegas Raiders. This guy is on a mission to play on every team in the National Football League before he retires. I'm a fan because he played at Michigan State. Chris now knows who he is. We're going to bring him up in a little while after this break. I'm ready to go in, Coach. Just give me a chance. The doctor is now in. Well, let's call me the doctor's apprentice. Dr. T.C. Martin out today. Flying back from Houston, the national championship that uh, he got to attend this past weekend, uh, the Final Four, and we all know that how that ended. Uh, another double-digit win for the UConn Huskies, now considered a blue blood with their fifth na- national championship with three different head coaches. And again, the T.C. Martin Show is every Monday through Friday right here, and also a 2 to 4 p.m. and streaming live at tcmartinshow.com. 
KSHBStudio.com. Once again, I'm Brian Feldman. I am joined on the KSHB Studio line by Chris Wynn and my son, who now lives in Austin, Texas, as less than a month ago, and got to uh, head to Houston yesterday. That was doing simply doing a job in Houston, and somebody offered him a couple of tickets to the national championship game. And next thing I know, I'm getting text messages with pictures of my son at the national championship game. And yes, I was jealous. Jake, are you there? Yes, I am here. I'm uh, out here in Houston right now. I'm actually getting ready to go to a Houston Rockets game now. <laughs> look, look at you. You, you. you decide. Are you moving from Austin to Houston? You know, I, I didn't think about it up until recently. Wow, is that, that nice in there? Jake, tell me, I know you went at the last minute, and my son and I, if you don't know, we did a show called The Jake and Dad Show for about four years over at Lotus Broadcasting. A lot of fun with that show. Jake started doing it when he was 14 years old. Uh, life has moved on. Jake's successful in business now and just relocated to Austin, Texas. But, uh, Jake, how cool was it? You're doing a job, and somebody comes to you and says, hey, you want to go to the national championship game again or go to the national championship game tonight? Not having any idea how big of a sports fan you are. Yeah, so it was funny because we were kind of chopping it up about the game a little bit. He overheard us and uh, just came out and was like, hey, I heard you guys talking about the game. Do you guys want to go tonight? We're like, well, you know, we don't really want to pay, you know, to go. No, no, no. I got two free tickets. I just, you know, I I just have them. They're not going to get used. They're going to go to waste. And we're like, are you kidding? Like, come on. Of course we want to go to the game. And uh, sure enough, we ended up being at the game. Got to see him cut down the net. That one of the most iconic sporting events in, in the world for me anyway. Jake, did you think when San Diego State cut it to five with about eight minutes to go, you know, and then, of course, uh, Hawkins went down and hit that three and put him back up eight, and then they went on a nine-nothing run and never looked back. But did you think with San Diego State and all the momentum, you felt it kind of swinging? Did you think it was going to be a turn, or did you think that UConn just had too much? The thing is, UConn has been just unstoppable, it seems like, these past few games, and the the electricity in the stadium when they went or got down by or broke the lead to five just was unmatched. And everyone around me thought that, Oh, San Diego state's going to do it again. They're going to take down the Yukon Huskies. But for some reason there was a thought in the back of my head that was just thinking Yukon's too strong. They're going to have an answer. And sure enough, they answered. They did. What was the atmosphere like in that place? Would you say it leaned more towards Yukon, more towards San Diego state, or would you say it was a 50, 50 split? You know, if you look directly, because I was sitting about mid-court, uh, I had pretty sweet seats, but if you look directly down the middle, to the left was complete San Diego State, to the right was complete UConn. It was at the most maybe 60-40 UConn, but mostly San Diego State fans. Everyone that I was talking to around me, I was sitting next to a bunch of Princeton fans, a bunch of other Ivy League school fans, and they all were pulling for San Diego State, of course, and it, I, I've never felt a more even national championship as far as fan base goes. And it, it was just the atmosphere was electric and, I, I got goosebumps just even talking about it right now. Now the final four, there's nothing like it to me. Next to the Super Bowl is probably the most magical sporting event on earth. Jake, tell me something. You know, we did the show for a long time. You and I covered UNLV together. We went to so many basketball games, interviewed so many different players and coaches and stuff. Did you ever think you were going to see a Mountain West team make it to the championship game of the NCAA tournament? Oh, never in a million years, Dad. I, I especially uh, I went to Hawaii with one of my friends and his dad was saying how good San Diego State is and this was before the Sweet 16 was even going on and I'm just yeah sure you know and sure enough they make it to the national championship game and what a huge thing to happen for the Mountain West and especially being you know a hometown uh, UNLV Rebel fan it's just 
it was it was amazing to see San Diego State. I wish the game ended a little bit closer, but it was still cool to see them there. They pulled it within five with a couple minutes left, so it it was just great for great for San Diego State, especially for the Mountain West. Yeah, well, Mountain West now is on the map. There's some notoriety there. Uh, they will get people talking much more about them, obviously, after all this stuff. I don't know how well that'll bode for UNLV as far as them getting better, but I think for the Mountain West, it should help recruiting, and people all know about San Diego State right now. I imagined a huge, diverse uh, amount of fans. But you know what, son? As jealous as I was of you last night, had you been in Vegas Saturday night, you'd have gotten to go to the Red Hot Chili Peppers with me backstage and meet <laughs> Chad Smith. So I know my buddy Brian should Piro's pretty happy that you didn't uh, that, that you weren't in town because he basically got your seat. So anyway, oh man, I, way I, to rub it in, Dad. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I had to. You, you rubbed in last night. You were at the championship game. Listen, son, I, I know, appreciate I you. Pre- I know you're working right now. I appreciate you taking some time out. Enjoy the game tonight. Although uh, Houston Rockets game probably would put me to sleep at this point in time. But uh, yeah, I'm just hopefully hopefully the Joker plays. That's all I'm looking forward to. <laughs> yeah, if he plays, you'll you'll see a good game. But I appreciate you taking some time out, and I know we'll talk to you soon. Jake. I love you, boy. We'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Love you too, Dad. All right, let's get back uh, by my son Jacob uh, again in Houston and at the championship game last night. Chris Wynn back with us now and uh, joining the show. I teased somebody that just got picked up here by our team in Las Vegas, which is now the Las Vegas Raiders. I mentioned all the teams he played for. Chris, I got to tell you, I know you know who I'm talking about. Uh, Just the acquisition took place about six hours ago. But did you know that Hoyer played for that many teams? I was not, I didn't, you know, it kind of was out of sight, out of mind. Obviously, Brian is an undrafted free agent back in 2009. You know, it, it, uh, sometimes it benefits them, right? Because you, you, you can pretty much, you know, decide or, or pick and choose who you go to. But, uh, it's been pretty impressive that he's had a, obviously, we're talking about Brian Hoyer, the pride of North Olmsted. By the way, Brian, up in uh, down in Cle- uh, Cleveland, Ohio, Saint I say Aquinas, down because you and I are, are, are Michiganders. But wasn't it Saint Aquinas uh, yeah, he I, went to I was, in Cleveland? Uh, I, I was surprised it was that many teams, though, Brian. Absolutely, yeah. Three different stints with the New England Patriots. That's where he started his career back in 2009. But, yeah, he has yep. been everywhere. Hasn't been to the Detroit Lions yet. Don't rule it out, though. He is 37 years old. Tom Brady paid till he was 45. So, And Brian Hoyer's, you know, he's had the cool thing with Hoyer is, Chris, you know, he's had his years, most, most of his career has been a backup. But he has gotten a couple of shots at being the starting quarterback. You know, what's interesting is, like, you think about him, and he's kind of an afterthought. He's thought of is kind of a guy who, you know, you get the feeling that, oh, yeah, he, he went to some franchise and got a chance to start in Cleveland and some other places. But uh, you think, oh, he's, he probably hasn't done much. Brian Horace played 13 years in the NFL. He's got over 10,000 passing yards and uh, has a QB rate, QBR rating of over 80. And he's got a, he's got a bunch of, a much more touchdown passes than interceptions. So the, the guy has had a solid career in the NFL, which is, which is absolutely impressive for someone who's, who went, again, undrafted back in 2009. No doubt about it. Also a Super Bowl champion, Chris, with the New England Patriots. Yeah, you know what, Brian? I'm kind of surprised at how late that was, too, because he, he had, you mentioned he had those three stints with the Patriots, but his first, uh, you know, his first taste of a championship was in 2019. It was at Super Bowl against the Atlanta Falcons. Yep. You know, they're at uh, Brandt's Bank and New Mercedes-Benz Stadium, so I, I would have thought that uh, Brian would have been on, you know, one of those Patriot teams earlier on that had won a Super Bowl. But, uh, yeah, it was 2019 
was the first time that he won a uh, a championship with the Patriots. Yeah, and a team that uh, watched the Atlanta Falcons have one of the most epic collapses in Super Bowl history, and the Patriots came back and won that game. Another one, I think that was uh, was that the second to, second to last Super Bowl for Tom Brady, right? I believe it was second to last, yeah. And oh my gosh, Brian, how about that? You want to talk about epic collapses on the part of a team in the Super Bowl? That was just absolutely brutal for the Falcons and their faithful down there in Georgia. It, it, it was it was hard to watch. Matty Ice's nickname went from Matty Ice to Matty Dry Ice after that game. <laughs> I mean, it was it was pretty bad. But what do you think Brian Hoyer brings other than experience as a backup to be behind Jimmy Garoppolo? But what does he bring to the Raiders? And are you satisfied that he is going to be the guy backing up Jimmy Garoppolo, a guy that has had trouble staying healthy? Well, big key is obviously the familiarity, right? You're talking about someone who understands the system, understands what the, what the coaching staff wants. And so that gives you a sense of security as far as uh, the quarterback position. Now, look, let's not, uh, you know, wax too poetic about this. We understand what this is. Brian's on the, you know, the back end of his career. He's uh, experienced absolutely is a major factor as to why he is going to be wearing a Las Vegas Raiders uniform, but let's not act like he's going to be some type of, you know, savior. And it, it, look, if, if obviously if Jimmy Garoppolo goes down, that's going to be bleak prospects for the the, the Vegas Raiders. But uh, it, it does give a sense of a little bit of a sense of security, knowing that you have an experienced guy there who has played in, in big games, who has been a starter in the NFL. And I think that uh, that bodes well for that quarterback room and for for that for the Raiders that uh, you could have a guy like that in, in the uh, locker room that brings that experience and that brings that that uh, resilience is the word that I use when I talk about Brian Hoyer uh, and that is uh, is going to be a big help for this Raiders team moving forward. No doubt. He's old, 37 years old, but hey, so is Jonathan Quick, and they're counting on him, and you know, Brian Hoyer's a guy that can come in and spell you and maybe win or two a game. Chris, the Raiders have the the seventh pick in this year's NFL draft, and then they don't pick again until the second round, but they've got the seventh and then the 38th pick. If you're um, Josh McDaniel, if you're Mark Davis, are you looking at uh, Are you looking at the draft and saying at some point we need to get a quarterback? There is probably seven quarterbacks right now that will that will make that will get a, that will get an NFL draft that will get drafted in this NFL draft. Maybe eight. Uh, the Raiders could get one of them. Do you think they take a chance? I think that there's a, absolutely a strong possibility. Now you look at this team now. Obviously, you got Jimmy Garoppolo, right? You, that, that was a big time uh, signing. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's other areas that they need to go to, right? When it when it comes to, the, uh, you know, who, what they need to look at. So for me, uh, it's absolutely defense is is what I would look yep. if I was the Las Vegas Raiders, and then pro- and probably look to add a wide receiver. That that would be the direction that I would go. Um, but look, we're not in the room. We don't we don't know exactly what the what the plans are for the uh, the the uh, New England Patriot West brass that has, uh, that has converged on to Las Vegas. But, uh, yeah, I think they could absolutely take, take a chance. Now, are, the, the big question is, would they be in a position to get one of the, you know, one of those quote unquote difference maker quarterbacks, right? The, you know, the, the top, you know, four or five guys really 
that that people have been talking about in this NFL draft that uh, that could make a difference. Obviously, Richardson's been a guy that's been mentioned when it comes to the Raiders, and uh, and the thought that he could be someone that could absolutely, uh, you know, establish himself as a franchise quarterback here in Vegas, and and, and a couple others too as well. But uh, we'll see how it all shakes out as far as the Raiders and what, if they do actually make some moves to, uh, you know, as far as in the first or second round maybe uh, moving up or moving down where they have an opportunity to get one of those guys. I'm going to get a project from Josh McDaniels. I'm not going to bank on Jimmy Garoppolo, who is efficient. He's played in the biggest games. He's played in the Super Bowl. He's played in a couple of NFC Championship games. The guy, he played behind Tom Brady, for God's sakes. you got to say, okay, let's give this guy a shot. Has been bit by the injury bug a couple times. And as far as Garoppolo goes, he would be a first-round number one draft pick if it came if, if it was in the hands of the ladies throughout the state of Nevada. Uh, he would definitely be drafted number one uh, for looks-wise. But as far as quarterback efficiency goes, I think that uh, you would want to have a backup plan and hope that you could find a Brock Purdy somewhere in that draft that could come in and maybe spell him. I know Josh McDaniels banks on the Patriots. uh, There's 12 uh, 12 members of the 90-man roster right now, our our former New England Patriots. So, you know, he's trying to dig into that well. Like I've said all along with Josh McDaniel, again, Mark Davis, you forgot one thing when you went out and got Josh McDaniel. You forgot you, you forgot to get the head coach. You forgot to get Bill Belichick because he's the brains behind everything. I've always said, you want to be a coordinator for Belichick, it's really easy. Just follow his orders and let him devise everything, especially on the defensive side of the ball because that's what the man does. But, but um, you know, again, Chris, looking forward to this Raiders team, what do you see now? Obviously, Darren Waller has moved on to the New York Giants. Um, you know, it looks like Devontae Adams will stay and continue to be a Las Vegas Raider, at least for the next year or two. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo coming on board. They need some help on defense. Max Crosby will be fine. Um, Chandler Jones, unfortunately, wasn't the answer at the other side. You know, he played, he played well at times, but nothing what they expected of this guy. What do you expect of the Las Vegas Raiders in 2023? Well, obviously, there's still we still have a lot of uh, uh, room between now and the start of the season. You got the draft, you got uh, the possibility of bringing other guys, so that's very important, especially with this team. Because as I talked about, what I think they need on the defensive side of things, they still need offensive line help too, right? They still need to 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 get the big uglies up there on that line. And when you look at the draft, you look at people like Paris Johnson out of Ohio State. That's who they are looking at early in the draft to pick up, uh, it's going to make a big difference. That being said, here, here's the deal, right? I'm, I'm interested, Brian, in the loss of Darren Waller, how that's going to impact that team offensively. I would, you know, I would like to think that they're still going to be effective and they're still going to be able to put points on the board. Uh, when you're swapping out, obviously, Garoppolo for Derek Carr, how does that play out uh, as far as this offense is concerned and, uh, and what exactly and how effective they can be and look, they're they're a prisoner of their division, right, Brian? I mean, it's not it's not just about what the Raiders do; it's about the division they play in. And the teams are just solid. I mean, you're talking about you know an Los Angeles Chargers team that's going to be looking to elevate themselves and elevate their play. You got the Kansas City Chiefs there, obviously still there. And uh, look, they they lost some pieces on offense, and we'll see how that plays out for them. But they still have Patrick Mahomes. You know, they still have. Uh, yeah, they still have Travis Kelsey. So, uh, you, you know, the, the Chiefs are still the class right now of that division. So, 
And then you got the Denver Broncos who retooled, obviously, as well and, and brought in some new pieces. So uh, it's a division that's, it's, that is a gauntlet. And so to me, I think when I'm, when I, when talking about the Raiders prospects, right? And the Raiders, can the Raiders, you know, get themselves uh, up, up a couple of levels when it comes to, you know, as far as the playoffs and, and actually being a contender, it's tough sledding, isn't it? Because you're talking about them in a division with the likes of the Chargers and, and the, and the Broncos and the Chiefs. So I think it's, it's going to be very difficult, much like we just talked about Kevin Kruger, right? The UNLV program. I think it's tough for Josh McDaniels and, and this Raiders team to try to elevate themselves in the AFC because of the circumstances that they face. So, uh, I'm not someone you and I do not have a dog in the fight as in we're fans of the team. We're not part of Raider nation. We cover the team and we're not, you know, we, uh, we observe the team obviously up close, you know, throughout, throughout 365 days of a year. So we, I, I don't have any reason to, to blow the sunshine up people's backsides. I think it's going to be tough for the Raiders. I really do. And I think it's, it's not going to be easy whatsoever for Josh McDaniels and this team. And, uh, it could be a situation where, where the powers that be with the silver and black might be looking for a new coaching staff come 2024. I couldn't agree with you more, um, Chris. Uh, you know, I mean, it's going to be tough for Dave Ziegler because he's got to fire his friend that he came over from New England with in Josh McDaniel if it doesn't work out. But the one thing I can tell you, Josh McDaniel has no more scapegoats. Derek Carr was his scapegoat last year. And I'm not going to say that Derek Carr would have been the, would have been the, the you know, a, a guy that would have taken them to the level they want to go to. Derek Carr is an average to above average NFL quarterback. He's been efficient. The one thing about Derek Carr is other than his one, the, the one season he got injured after they won 11 games and he didn't get to play in the postseason because of injury. He has been a guy that's been very steady and he's on the field every game. That's something uh, New Orleans would like to have because they haven't had that luxury there. But the bottom line is there's no scapegoats this year. Uh, uh, Josh McDaniel decided to bank on Jimmy Garoppolo, and Jimmy Garoppolo is either going to take him or he's not. And the one thing is, Chris, that they're not mentioning defense. You know, we need to fix the defense up. Worried about Darren Waller. It's that offensive line. In San Francisco, Jimmy Garoppolo had two players on that offensive line that were all pro players and a very solid offensive line, including one of the best tight ends in football in George Kittle. That is something he is not going to have the luxury of here. Foster Moreau, I think, is going to continue to grow and become a good tight end in the National Football League, but I don't think he is at the caliber of a Darren Waller or a George Kittle. So uh, It's going to be interesting, but I think this year my prediction is, right now, AFC West, up top, I still think the Kansas City Chiefs are the cream of the crop. Obviously, they just won a Super Bowl. I still think San Diego is the number two team up there. I think that playoff loss in Jacksonville is going to light a fire under their ass, and they will be a better team. Justin Herbert's the real deal. I And, and I think Denver, yes, have retooled. They'll finish third, and I think the Raiders get the seller of the AFC West in 2023. But I will say this, Chris, I hope I'm wrong. Hey, we'll see how it all shakes out. This, you know, the silver and black faith. It's a great fan base. I love it. But uh, yeah, it's it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be tested this year, my friend. Because yes, as you pointed out, it is a absolute gauntlet in the AFC West. Let the old cliche, though. a tough road to haul. He is Chris Wynn. You can hear him. I can't even give you the one place everywhere on sports radio in Las Vegas. As always, Chris, love chopping it up with you and appreciate you joining the show.
Always good to jump on with you, Brian. Have a great week, okay? You do the same. Once again, T.C. Martin Show, Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m., streaming live at tcmartinshow.com. If you miss any part of this show or any show, go to tcmartin.com under the podcast section. Also check out the interview page and hear from the great guests. Go to the current and classic interview pages anytime at tcmartinshow.com. And don't forget to come by and see the show live every Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. at the Superbook at the Westgate Las Vegas, the world's largest sports book, home of the giant 4K video wall. Watch the games in comfort in a non-smoking environment. The world-famous Superbook at the Westgate Las Vegas. Once again, I'm Brian Feldman, filling in for the doctor, T.C. Martin, who will be back live in studio 2 to 4 tomorrow. I want to thank, of course, my guest today. want to thank Darren Millard, the, the Vegas Golden Knights broadcast team. Great job with him. Anderson Hunt from Hopping On Board. Of course, my friend Chris Wynn and my son Jacob Feldman. And we can't leave out the man behind the wheels of steel, producer Justin Numchuck, the man that takes it all and does it all and gets it done. I want to thank everyone out there for paying attention. We'll see you soon. And hey, don't mind if you check out my show Sunday mornings just down the dial, 8 o'clock Fox Sports Radio. It's called Out of Line. It's been my pleasure spending these last two hours with you. I'm done. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.